found the Winding Road Podcast, hosted by Jason and Isaac. We're two friends who are sitting in the driveway just chatting about cars over some drinks, while two of our favorite cars are sitting behind us shining in the sun. We never know where the conversation will go, but we hope you join us. All right, welcome back, everyone. We took a, two, a few weeks off um, just to get caught up in some, some life and um, had a vacation in there and, and things like that. So. We're both excited to get back at it and talk about cars again. So my wife and I went to a little rural town in Vermont for a week and then to Rhode Island. And in Vermont, there were pretty much no car sightings. In Newport, Rhode Island, I saw a few there. I think I saw a Murcielago SV Roadster. So that was kind of cool. That was That's my car sighting for the week is that, uh, is that Murcielago. That's... that's uh... I'm not surprised you didn't see anything in the rural Vermont area. Yeah. Probably a bunch of old, you know, beat up SUVs and stuff. Um, no, they were relatively recent. Um, but like we had to go two towns over uh, to find the closest car dealership. And they were, it was like a Ford and a Chevy and I think the Nissan. Um, so I think like there, there were, I probably counted a five like Audis or um, maybe a few Lexuses or Mercedes, but I would say in the six days we were there, less than a dozen cars that were not like, you know, Ford, Chevy, Nissan, uh, mm. a lot of Subarus, um, a lot of Hondas. So like all the normal kind of everyday stuff. Uh, but the, no matter what brand you have, there's, a, there's not a short, trip to the dealer uh, a lot of mom and to pop repair shops up there interesting i'm sure i guess the car culture is probably not a huge thing there definitely yeah definitely not it's more um like power sports so like atvs mm. and snowmobiles mm-hmm. um jet skis boats because we were we got a lake house that we rented for the week um so a lot of boats and horses that's kind of like the recreation up there not so much a car scene any any power sports that you guys and over there with being on the lake? Actually, we scheduled uh, an ATV tour on the one day. So we rented uh, Polaris Razor side-by-sides. And nice. we went out in the woods for like an hour and a half. So I have so I took my GoPro with and um, cool. have some footage that I got to edit through. And I'll probably post a few-minute video on YouTube at some point for that. Were you guys with people? Like, uh, was, it, was it like a tour or could you just go out and ride around? Uh, it was a tour but it was just us and the, and the tour guide. So it was nice. Cause we didn't have like a train of like nine, you know, ATVs. It was just two of us and him. Um, so we, it went pretty quickly. We didn't have to wait for people who were less adventurous or, you know, people that were really wild. It was just two of us. So it was nice. Is that and, normal? Uh, Is that normal? Or, or like we, was it just not booked up and you guys, and you just lucked out? I think it was because it was like early in the season, like there this past mm-hmm. weekend, was probably kind of the start of their busy season so i imagine like june july and august they're probably pretty busy every weekend mm-hmm. um so i think it's just we got it we caught it at a good time it was middle of the week it was a tuesday and it was you know before the summer kicked off so i think it worked out what were your thoughts on the razor it was a lot of fun i haven't been in one since they kind of first came out back in like 07 08 mm-hmm. um i was working at a polaris dealer then and um Originally, it was just the Ra- the Ranger, the utility one. Then they came out with the Sport one, and but I I never had a chance to really drive one, so this was a lot of fun. Uh, went through some deep puddles. We went up some pretty steep hills. Got some air a couple times. Um, nice. So I definitely enjoyed it. And Sarah had never done it before, anything like that. And she really enjoyed it. She actually is like, hey, when we go to we're, we're thinking about planning another trip. It's like, when we go on our next trip, let's see if we can rent some ATVs out there too. So, um, mm-hmm. she's she's a she's kind of a gearhead. She pretty much like if it's got engine an engine and wheels, she likes the adrenaline rush. So like, she wants to try mm-hmm. snowmobiles, even though she doesn't like snow. She wants to try um, jet skis. So we've got some. Never done that, jet skis. No. So you have right? No. You've never done one. Nope. Oh my god, they're the best. Yeah. Yeah. So they're now on our list of things to do, and we can do it together. So it'll be fun. That's awesome. Those things are automatic, right? 
Yes. The side-by-side, -side, I want to say genre, um, seems to be, I think, a pretty newer area, right? Uh, relatively. I don't know who, I think, I think Polaris was the first with them to market. So, like, you know, there were several companies that had, like, the UTVs, like the Ranger and uh, um, the John Deere Gator and stuff like that. Uh, but I think Polaris was the first one to have like the sport oriented one. And mm -hmm. I think they came out around 07. So they're going on 15 years since it's been an industry, but they're definitely the hot thing, uh, I think, in that field. And I think it's because they're easy to to learn how to use and be comfortable with. Like they're they're the they're accessible to more people, like they're easier to operate because they drive like a car or more so than an ATV. Like an ATV, you know, it's got handlebars like a motorcycle. It's got a, a thumb throttle, a lot of them. Uh, you have to shift gears on some of them. So if you're a newbie and never done anything like that before, it's really accessible to get into, uh, you know, an AT, uh, a side-by-side. -side. Yeah, they're not cheap though. They're like, I, I don't know what the average price, but I want to say like 20 grand-ish. I think they're, I mean... I haven't looked for a while, to be honest. I thought I thought they were in the ten range, but I could be way off because I haven't I haven't really checked them out. I think I mean I think maybe like the maybe like the entry level ones, but they for like a decent one, I think it can get pretty high up there, which is if you're, you're in like you know car range at that point. Yeah, you're probably right. I think they're cool. I would, I've never been in one. I'd love to um, you know have an adventure with one. Um, mm -hmm. I'll just keep that on my radar for sure. What have you been um, up to the last couple of weeks? Did, were you ever, I think we had talked about previously that you might try to get to Radwood. Did you get to Radwood? Yes, it was super it. hot. <laughs> it was so hot. Um, didn't make it to Radwood. I think I had to work. I think that's what happened. I worked, yeah, I worked that weekend. Um, what was the date? Do you remember? That was the 21st. I did a couple things. I definitely didn't get to Radwood. I wanted to, but I didn't, which will, I'll have a, I have a little shout out to Radwood. Um, that we'll talk about, but uh, I either went to, I don't think that was the weekend where Kelsey and I went to the Italian festival in Philly. It might have been. It was really hot. Mm -hmm. um, but another hot weekend, I went to a Cars and Coffee um, mm -hmm. in, in Bryn Mawr, which, you know, I've been to Just Joe's, and it was, it was one night, it was on Sunday, so I could make it with work. And I've never been to this one. Um, it was really cool because like I saw a lot of the same characters that you would see, you know, like all the cars and coffees around here. It seems they're bringing out like the same people. Mm -hmm. But this was cool because uh, it was obviously the main lines and super wealthy, right? So you see a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, there was like old school Porsches. There was some um, I, I, I think it was like a 911 from like 97 or 98 kind of. If you remember Bad Boys. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one of my favorite models, and I, someone had one like that there. There was a couple Lamborghinis, a couple Ferraris. Some like there was a, there was a super, like a right hand drive super. Okay. From you know we discussed those before. That was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. Good to see some different cars out. And then last weekend, Kelsey and I went to. There was a car show in uh, Morgantown, you know, at uh, a classic mm. auto mall. It was just like a car group that had, you know, that had an event there. And uh, it was kind of weird because we weren't really, it was kind of like a spontaneous thing. We're like, oh, let's go. So we went up there. It was probably like an hour drive from there. Mm -hmm. um, so we decided randomly to go. And we got there probably at 11. And we were just kind of looking at the cars outside. There was a, a, a Caprice. I guess it's not like a priest, but like a, an estate wagon mm -hmm. that was kind of like, I don't want to say retro modern, but done up a little bit. And it was for sale. A guy wanted like eight grand for it. And I was like, man, that's awesome. I like these things for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why I do. I just find utility in them and they're kind of cool looking to me. So we're, we're walking around, we're looking at stuff, just taking our time. And it, it's now like 1145. And the DJ goes on and says that, you know, the auto mall is closing at 12. And he thought that they were staying open until the end of the show, which was three. So we're like, damn, like, I'm really here for like the, you know, to look inside all these cars because everything's for sale there. There's like eight or 900 cars in there. Oh, wow. And um, 
if you've never been, you should definitely go. It's really cool. It's an interesting experience. So it's basically like a mall. For those who don't know, it's it's an old mall that I guess somebody bought, and it just has cars. Like it, it's a, there's still like the, the stores and everything. But huh. There's cars in all these stores. Oh wow! I didn't know and, that. Oh my god, it's so cool. Um, and it's everything. It's like uh, I think they're all on consignment. So you know, stuff ranged from I don't know, like 1800s carriages to a CTSV. Like, you know, there was an RS6 in there from early 2000s, maybe like 01, 02. Uh, so it's really cool. And it's literally like, think of, I don't think of the King of Prussia Mall, not that big, but think of a mall like that and having cars like on the middle, in the stores. It's the coolest thing. Huh. So, um, and even Kelsey is not much of a car person. It was, it was like, wow, this is really cool. It kind of stunk because we had to like rush through it because we only had 15 mm. minutes to, to like lock it up. Um, but there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Some stuff is like, ridiculous. There was a, um, like an old school S10 that had been, and it looked like it was tubbed and obviously had work done to it. And it looked clean, it looked really nice. And, and Kelsey's like, oh, like, let's get this one. This one's cool. I looked at it and it was like $93,000 and the guy wanted for it. <laughs> Did you point out to her the cars that had more and less than 400 horsepower? <laughs> she she makes it, she always makes it um, known. <laughs> what's doing, don't. <laughs> or she asks me. <laughs> Which one's caught her eye? Um, anything that's orange. Okay. Um, or actually it's funny because we were talking and um, remember the old F100s? Like the, like the old school ones. Um, and if you've noticed around Christmas time, it's been a thing lately where they have like an old red, looks like an F-100 with, with the states on the side, like a Christmas tree in the back. Mm-hmm. There was one of them in there. And I, was like, oh, I feel like you're calling me out. Why? Our um, Christmas card, uh, the photographer had borrowed somebody's like 49 or 54 Ford pickup and it was red and it had the stakes side. No, it didn't have the stakes on the back. Um, but yeah, we, we posed in front of a old red pickup. Oh yes, you're right. I totally forgot. I totally forgot about that. I definitely wasn't calling you out though. <laughs> Cause we have, we have decorations that have that truck on. And I think okay. we had one on, on like the doorstep, but Kelsey was like, you know, I, I like that truck. That's cool. And I was thinking like, you don't even like cars that much. Like, why do you like this truck so much? And then I was like, I think it's because of the uh, the Christmas, you know, the Christmas truck. And she's like, oh, I think you're right. <laughs> so that was cool. But um, actually, there was a really sharp Mustang there, like 1970 Boss. Okay. It was orange. It looked like it wasn't a resto mod, but it was close to it. And it was just really sharp. Had a lot of work done to it. Nice. But well, she I likes would... orange cars. I have a car for you. Okay. Uh, a few about a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. My uh, the used car department where I work, they bought I think at auction or somewhere. It's an orange RS5 Sportback. An R is that a is that a um, it's LEM a wrap color? No, it's a wrap. And they've they've got they've got the taillights tinted out and the wheels are all blacked out. So it's it's totally not my kind of look. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean it looks kind of cool. But I you know again the black wheels and. Um, I think, t- I think tinted taillights are stupid because you're yeah. just asking to get rear-ended and stuff like that. But uh, if she wants, over. if she wants an orange car, there you go. I like the RS5. I don't know if I'm sold on an orange wrap or tinted taillights. I don't like that stuff. Yeah. What happens on the, on the, uh, when, you, when, they, when the car gets wrapped, does, do they wrap the inside and the doors to like where the strikers are? I don't think so, but I, I don't, I think it probably depends on who you have do it and how thorough they are. Um, but I think it usually, they just kind of like put it over the panel and then like, if it's crossing a, a panel gap, like between fender and door or something like that, they, I think they just um, take a razor blade and cut it and then curl it around the edge. Um, so if you open it, if you open a door say you have a black car and you wrap it, you know, orange you open a door the door sills there they are already black probably yeah i think it's a little tacky 
Yeah, but most people don't see that. I guess, but as like a detailed person, yeah, that would drive me. That would drive me nuts. I think I don't know if I can yeah. deal with that. I, that reminds me. I used to have a friend that had uh, a vinyl cutter, and he would make like decals and stuff like that. And the one time I'm like, hey, we should, I had this, when I had my Volkswagen Golf, I'm like, we should do a wrap for the car that looks like a golf ball, like where it has like the dimples and everything. And like wrap the whole car in golf, like this golf ball look. And then at the bottom, like where the rockers are in the lower part of the bumper have like gr- blades of grass. So it looks like a golf ball sitting in the grass. Uh-huh. And then I was going to have them put like Titleist across the side of the car or something like that. So it looks like a golf ball. So I never did it, but I thought it was a cool idea. That's a good idea. It's pretty. It's pretty creative. That's about as creative as I get. <laughs> I, yeah, I was looking at something today, and I, I just I said earlier about Rad Radwood. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw an article, and it said things from the '80s cars that no longer are around that people are happy that they don't exist anymore. And it was like 25 different items. Okay. Um, I have an idea for one. I'm curious if it's going to be on the list. Go ahead. So, I'll, I'm doing this from memory, so bear with me. But there were target tops, key tops, power antennas, the digital dashes from the 80s. Um, remember the seat covers? It was like beads, like yeah. beaded seat covers. That was one of them. Um, button tufted seats. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, recliners. What else was there? One thing was um, wheel covers, you know, like uh, mm. like hub hubcaps, which mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they still exist. Uh, yeah, some some very basic cars still have them. Probably harder to find, but mm. um, that cylinder deactivation was on there. I don't think they had that in the '80s. Cadillac did. Really? Yeah, I don't okay. think it. I don't think it went very well. That's still a thing. Issues with them. Yeah, it is still GM thing, still does it. Yeah. They still do. I knew that they did it on some of the trucks again like in the 2000s. Yeah, I think they still do it on their V8s. I know. I think the, what was the, uh, the 5.3 liter, I think, had it, which is a cool idea, but I don't think it really doesn't really save that much fuel. I think, I mean, the most of the time it was used was when you're like cruising. So yeah. you're already in top gear doing like 2500 rpm and then you can if you've got a v8 in a pickup you don't need all the power of a v8 so like if you're doing 80 on the highway it just cuts off four cylinders now you're running a four cylinder um you know every little bit helps especially when you're getting you know 14 miles a gallon um and then there was throttle body injection was on there Hmm. And then, you know, I'm, I'm forgetting some of them, but those, those are the main focal ones. The, the one that intrigued me the most was clutchless manual. I didn't even know, I didn't even know there, was, there was such a thing, clutchless manual. I feel like I've heard of that, but I don't know any cars that did it. I'm trying to see. Let me see if I can pull it up. Interesting idea. Um, I love, I love um, dual clutch. Automated manuals. Weird because it's tough to make them smooth. Like if you if you're in sport mode and you know it's it's you're trying to slow down and you the, the car is automatically downshifting, but you're trying to not make it jerky, like for your passengers. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's funny because like you can hear it like, for a guy, for someone who knows about cars. You can feel the clutches engaging. It, it, it sounds like you know, like a manual. Like when when the, when it's uh, I guess disengaging the clutch or engaging it when you're starting to roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure. I don't know what the durability is of those things, but I think that's a, that's a pretty cool idea. Mm-hmm. Was the two piece seatbelt on the list? It was I mean, yes, the all nine seatbelts. Yes, that was on there. Yeah, like the one where like went over the the A pillar, and then you yeah. had like the second belt that you buckled separately. And Ford did yeah. that a lot in the eighties and nineties. I remember Actually, the Honda, I, GM did it too. It like a, yeah, I guess Honda did it. Honda, it was kind of a fad for a while. Then. It was a fad, but like how stupid! Like, what a dumb. That's just so eighties. Like we we can do this, so let's do this. You're right. 
like you're still buckling the lower belt. Mm-hmm. And if you don't buckle that lower belt, does that shoulder belt really do anything? Right. That's the thing. Like, and that was like, I remember seeing videos or um, something from back then where like, if you only use the shoulder belt, you can submarine, you know, in an accident, like you can, you can slide down below the belt and essentially go into the footwell. And so like, it's not really going to do anything. Right. Yeah. But you're still, like you said, to be safe, you still have to buckle yourself in. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what, I don't know what the thought process was there, but it's just so 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember these things. I would imagine that they probably became more of a nuisance as time went on than any good that they would have done. Like, you know, getting stuck halfway or whatever, just another thing to repair. Right. Yeah, because there's um, that whole mechanism that could fail, like, mm-hmm. you know, just randomly in the middle of its track somewhere. And so now you can't, you know, your seatbelt isn't on properly. And yeah, I could see that have being a problem. That's probably what, I mean, one, there's probably two reasons they went away. One, it was stupid and, you know, annoying to a lot of people. And two, I think when it, when that part fails, you know, it's never going to fail in the position where it's a usable seatbelt. It's always, you know, it's going to be somewhere at the track where it's going to be in your way or whatever. Super annoying. What would, do you have a, uh, something that you can think of personally that like an 80s fan that you're glad to see go away um that was one the other one i thought of a second ago was the fake wood paneling oh that was on there too yeah so i mean that kind of showed up again when the pt cruiser came out okay, um yeah. people like doing that what else they, yeah. they did it to uh i feel like i saw it in another car recently from like the early 2000s yeah that was terrible PT Cruisers in general like a weird car. They, they were pretty really, terrible. They weren't really powerful. They weren't big, and they still got pretty crappy gas mileage. Well, they were essentially a neon wagon, just styled differently. But they did. They did have a turbo one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the funny thing. So the when they were still things. relatively new, I was working at when I was working at the Ford dealer. Um, I said the one guy had a PT Cruiser, I think for his wife or something. And I said, you know, the only people I ever see driving the GT cruisers, which is the turbo ones, mm-hmm. only people I ever see driving those are old people. And they're always automatics. Like they're not people that actually have any use for the turbo. Like they would have been perfectly fine getting the base PT cruiser. Right. Um, but for some reason, they decided they wanted to buy the turbo because the turbo was essentially a neon SRT4 with a little bit of a detune. Okay. And I'm sure the suspension wasn't as harsh and the, and the muffler was actually there um but <laughs> like the engine and transmission were essentially you know srt4 i agree with you um they're probably definitely wasted on, on, on those drivers because it was a four-speed automatic and probably a really dog even though it was you know a turbocharged 2.4 liter um i'm sure it was and they were always the com- most of the time it was the convertible version mm-hmm. so they have some extra weight on there too that was that was a a short-lived fad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I saw um, I was out there now. I think it was, it's on the road somewhere. And I saw a newer Acura. But I, it was a sedan, and I'm not really even sure what the models are anymore. For a while, I think Acura is finally getting back into the game with like mm-hmm. performance vehicles. Because remember that the TLX um, had again the A spec line, right? But all that all that was was like a body kit or like some you know nicer seats or whatever. It was nothing done performance wise to the, to the engine or anything like that. Right. And I think was it the Type S, the old school Type S's. And I think they I think they're starting to bring back the Type S, which actually has I think it has a twin turbo six cylinder. Okay. I'm not sure, but like I saw it, and it drove by me from the opposite direction, so I had. Like, Quick glimpse when it had like you know the quad exhaust it looks really sharp and it sounded good too and it actually took off especially for me when i see a car that looks good it looks better than the regular models but there's nothing done to it it's literally just like a body kit uh and like a little bit of an upgraded interior with, with like a, you know whatever 
extra money they're adding to it. Mm-hmm. But it seems like they're starting to actually make it more performance oriented. I don't have experience driving one, but I remember a couple of years ago, I sat in a TLX A-Spec uh, mm-hmm. at the auto show. And mm-hmm. one thing I remembered was the seat was almost just like a pillow. Like it didn't seem very supportive. It was definitely cushier and designed for um, someone who wants to be comfortable as opposed to supported. Um, and what I've also heard is that despite how big that car is, like it's bigger than an A4 on the outside mm-hmm. and it has a rear seat size of your car, which wow. is smaller than, smaller than an A4. So like you have this big car, relatively yeah. speaking, a, you know, a midsize car, but mm-hmm. the rear seat is, you know, minuscule. And that's something the German cars have kind of been known for all these years. Uh, you could get like, you know, an A6 or a 5 Series and the rear seat's still not huge uh, as opposed to like an American car. But for mm-hmm. the for the Acura to be kind of that small in the back is is really strange, especially because the front looks like it's got like a long hood and fender area, like almost like a rear wheel drive sports sedan would. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's a front wheel drive car that's yeah. built like a rear wheel drive car. So essentially, there's wasted space. That space could have gone to the rear seat area. I drove one when I was looking to buy a car. Like I think I don't know how many, probably like five or six years ago at this point. And a test drive of one is an A spec, and I was just not impressed. Like uh, I wasn't impressed at all. It just seemed like your regular average sedan with again mm-hmm. bigger exhaust tips and maybe like side skirts or something. Mm-hmm. For like fifteen thousand more than you know, the corresponding model. I don't know. I guess I just I I think that that's a waste, in my opinion. But I was impressed by this one. I think that they're actually like I think a lot of car companies are are maybe because of the way that we're going with electric vehicles, maybe that people are like, oh, let's make performance cars again before like we can't anymore. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's stupid. I don't know. That's just how I think. I think that. There's definitely some of that going on. Um, I think it's also, you know, as companies are coming out with some sportier models, again, people are buying them. And then other companies say, well, that car seems to be doing successful. We should do one of our own. And so while they're not as prolific still as an SUV and they aren't going to be, you are seeing more of them than like 10 years ago. It was kind Mm -hmm. of like there weren't a lot of sporty cars on the market no, um, right. compared to now and mm. i think there are a lot of factors involved with that but it's funny because everybody thinks you know that electric fully electric is going to be a couple of years away but consider this the as of like a year ago the electric car sales were only like five percent of all car sales for the year and we mm. still have people waiting in line at at chargers mm-hmm. and so like if five out of 100 cars are electric and people are waiting in line to charge you know what happens if all of a sudden 50 percent of the market is electric cars mm-hmm. you know the infrastructure is just not there so i'm i'm pessimistic i don't think we're gonna go full electric or um, or a majority electric on for a long time i think i think at some point it's going to be like maybe 30% electric, 30 or 40% gas. And then the rest is going to be a mix of like diesel, maybe a few hydrogens thrown in or hybrids, but f- full pure electric, I don't think is going to ever become, you know, standard. Yeah, no, I, don't, I feel like we touch on this every once in a while. Um, but it's just, I don't, I don't know. It's like, I don't know how you feel about it. I know something, like some people are like, yeah, like I'm all about new things and, this and that and whatever, let's try it, let's go for it. But for me, and I think I've said this before, electric cars don't have any personality. They may be quick and they may may have torque on demand, Mm -hmm. but like there's just no personality to it. And like what what maintenance would you do on an electric vehicle? Like More than you think. Like what? More more than you think. So the, I mean, every car is gonna be different, of course. but you know you're still going to have filters like pollen filters. Mm-hmm. You're still going to have brake fluid. 
you're still going to have, um, I mean, some cars have coolant that you have to replace every couple of years uh, for the electric motors because the batteries in the electric motors all get cooled by a coolant and that's going to have to get replaced every now and then. Um, of course, tires and brakes still exist. Mm. So, you know, while you don't do oil changes or spark plugs, there's still other stuff going on. And keep in mind, you're going to need a more specialized technician to work on that. So the the, uh, the CHC mechanic is definitely going to go by the wayside. I mean, it's there. I think like if it goes the way I mentioned a minute ago, where like say a third of the market is electric and a half of the market is is gas. You know, the independent shop is still going to be able to, you know, work on the standard cars and do basic stuff on electric cars. And there are also companies that will send their technicians to training. Like I knew where my father-in-law has gone for a few decades. The it's a multi-generation company and they're the current owner. He's, he's like the second son and it's his company. Now he's got training certificates from, you know, various different places where he's learned hybrid, you know, diagnostic and all these other things, but it's not factory certified. And there's only some things are going to be able to be done outside of a dealership just because of how things work. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it will make it a little bit harder for independent shops, but there's still going to be basic stuff like tires and brakes and, and you know, inspections and wiper blades. And so. So why wouldn't somebody in an indie shop be able to perform something that a dealership could? Is that a lack of skill or just a certification, you think? Um, training tools. And I mean, overarching that is, is the funding to do it. Like some of the tools that dealerships have to have to do certain processes cost tens of thousands of dollars just to have the tool. Mm -hmm. And so if you're an independent repair shop, you know, are you going to spend $25,000 on a tool that you might use once every two or three years? Mm-hmm. you know plus have your technician trained to do that kind of thing yeah i think like i guess because i was thinking about something similar the other day i was driving home and every time i get a warning light or something i'm like well especially because i'm scared because i'm out of warranty at this point um like like you know is this something that i can fix like where does this car have to go to get repaired uh and and like I've done a lot of stuff just by because like, I I don't know I would say I'm a relatively average like average handy guy like I can fix a lot of different stuff um, and I was able to do a lot of different things just by watching like, the YouTube video mm-hmm. right so I'm wondering like, I'm thinking you know what's like, what's the difference like, from watching a YouTube video versus trusting somebody who who you don't even know who he is. Mm-hmm. or see, you know, and if, if they know what they're doing or how much training they've had. Um, so that was something that I was thinking about. All right, so I was driving home the other day, and every time, for some reason, I and Kelsey can attest to this, <laughs> the Audi warning. Is obnoxiously like, loud? Yeah, and it's like, it's like <laughs> scares you. It's like, what the heck? And yeah. it's like, and you're like, what's going on? It's like, what, you know, what, what type of warning is happening right now? And uh, it's always, it, like, my stomach always goes in, like, into my chest. Like, what, what is that? So this particular one, and, I, and I've been having a tire pressure warning lately. Okay. And, and I think maybe I have a bent rim or something because it only happens like it's, a, it's, it can be like every three days or it can be like every seven days. So mm-hmm. I think it has to do with where the car's sitting when it's parked because um, I can't see visibly anything. And I really haven't pulled the rim to check it out or anything, but I was driving home, and I, I, I went to switch lanes, so I turned on my left turn signal, and I got a warning. It said left side turn signal, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Like, what the heck? Like, what does that even mean? They got a bulb out, so I, I was at a red light, and I put my flasher on, because like, you can see the... the uh, you ever do that? Like, you're, there's a car in front of you, and you look at the reflection. Yeah. 
Okay, okay, my my side view mirror turn signal is working. My driver, you know, my my uh, headlight turn signal is working. So I'm like, is there like an LED strip out or something in the back? So I got to, I got home and I like checked everything out. Everything looks good. And then it never came back again. And I haven't scanned it yet with my OBD11. So it was just like a, it was just like a weird warning. And I was like, oh my god, it's happening again. Starting to get warning lights. But um, but yeah. So I was thinking about that because I feel like there's a lot of stuff that. You can just repair yourself if, you, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're reasonably handy and you have the tools. Mm-hmm. Like, like we've had this discussion before, but like, you know, a lot of people just don't don't care, don't want to, or, or their time is just too valuable. It's not mm-hmm. worth spent on that. But yeah, I enjoy that. And like for me, like not only having time, but thinking about it, I've never been a professional mechanic, but I probably have between. I would say three and $600 in tools. And Mm. that doesn't include the toolbox and stuff like that. So, you know, and that's just for me because it's it's kind of like a hobby to me. Um, Mm. So I don't mind doing that. But for some people, it's like, why would I spend several hundred dollars on tools when I have to do it myself? I don't know if I'm doing it the right way. You know, I have to buy the parts. You know, I have to take a Saturday out of my day, like a day out. So it's like, that's when it becomes worth it to have someone else do it. You know, it's, it's, what is your time worth to you? Not even counting all the other stuff. Um, but yeah, it's funny you mentioned about the warnings because when I had my A6 wagon, it's one of the first cars that had a power lift gate in the trunk mm-hmm. and which I would prefer manual because I like less power operated things, the better, but mm-hmm. the, they were known <laughs> to have, um, the latch stopped working properly and so basically it had like a soft closed trunk so it will pull it down you push the button and it would lower the the gate and then when it got close it would like cinch it in mm-hmm. and the latch was kind of wonky and sometimes it would close it properly sometimes it wouldn't i was basically have to stand at the back of the car and when it got like a half inch away i had to push it down so that it fully seated and if I didn't time it right, it just bounced back out and I had to start the process all over again. I had to open it and then reclose it and try to time it again. Um, That's awesome. I wish I could have watched that happen. <laughs> and so if I didn't do it right, you know, then, you know, you have a, your trunk is open warning. You couldn't lock the car properly. Um, and then just various things. And then like, we'd be driving somewhere. And if I had a bulb out, you would get a warning and, the the beep would be super obnoxiously loud and by the time we got rid of the car she had heard so many beeps from that car every time it came on she was like she had ptsd you know because she's like Mm -hmm. is this car going to break down on us because we had we were we were fighting a check engine light that we couldn't figure out what the problem was and Mm -hmm. um we were using it for her business at the time so we used it a lot so then fast forward to what I traded it and got the Outback and that had all the safety features on it. And so like it would beep if you got close to the center line or if you were following someone too closely or whatever. And so every time that car would beep, she's like, what's breaking now? Like she had total yeah. PTSD from it yeah. um, because her car doesn't really beep for anything unless the tire pressure lights on um, or if she's backing up to something too closely. And my car doesn't beep at all because it has nothing in it. Awesome. So you know, when I got the, the Outback, she was like, well, I would just be driving down the road and it would be alerting me of something because that's what it's supposed to be doing. But yeah. she was, she was traumatized by my prior car. And she's like, can you turn that thing off? It's so, so annoying. And it freaks me out. And so it was funny, but yeah, the, the, the Audi warning notification is very loud and obnoxious. It is. It's like, and it like stresses you out. Like it's like that, that instant of like oh what's happening yeah <laughs> the situation. especially if you're like in traffic or something you're not expecting it you're not paying attention and yeah. all of a sudden you hear this loud noise and it's like yeah. what's gonna break now is the car right. gonna explode on me yeah i'm always like oh god not like an engine temp warning something crazy please no <laughs> yeah um but it's funny that like, you're talking real quickly about um notifications and stuff like that my stepmom has a rav4 
and uh, got all this stuff on it. And one day she could, it wouldn't move out of the driveway and she couldn't back it up. And it was, it was like, it, it wouldn't let her, it wouldn't physically let her drive all these warnings and stuff like a backup, whatever. And they had to tow the car out of the driveway and brought it to the dealership. The dealership couldn't find anything wrong with it. They, they, whatever, this, this car is fine. So they found out that where the car was parked in the driveway, there was a vent from like the house that was venting at that particular time hot air and the car when they were trying to leave thought that or picked whatever they picked up as an obstruction and and wouldn't let the vehicle move it's not crazy it's like geez like some of the stuff so now like she'll never she'll back in all the time yeah so that if it ever happens again she can just drive forward yeah but like i thought to myself like can't you disable like I would I would think that you should be able to disable that system. I don't know. I mean, without knowing, you know, what kind of what exactly the system was triggered um, yeah. or the scenario. Like some systems can't be disabled, and the technology in cars is really smart, but mm. it only can go by the information it has, and the mm. car doesn't know that. Like I've, you know, heard it where people are just pulling into the garage, and it the car sees like the trash can off to the side in a shadow or just sees a shadow and it puts on the emergency braking because it doesn't know what it sees. It just sees something and yeah. you aren't responding to it as a driver because yeah. you know, it's a trash can. And so it freaks out because it thinks you're going to hit something. Yeah. The car can only be- go based off the information it has. And so, you know, it frustrates, it can be frustrating for people, but ultimately if you want the system to perform a certain way, it's You know, you're going to have to be okay with some drawbacks occasionally. I like, I like my 2016. It has just the right amount, in my opinion, of um, driver assistance, but no, it's not like too much. Like I don't even have, because I have the base model, so I don't even have um, like lane departure or anything like that, or blind spot monitoring. You know, in blind spot. No. Yeah. Oh. You um, just have like the reverse sensors, right, and the camera. Yeah. Reverse sensors, camera, and there's front sensors. Yeah. Okay. But no blind spot. Um, I think that was like this step up. Yeah. And I like it. I mean, it's kind of cool. I think because I don't know. When I drive Kelsey's car, it's 2006 Honda Accord. It got not, it has like nothing in it. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice car, but it has no. Yeah. That was before you, that was invented. Yeah. Right. Right. And to me, it's kind of, I don't know, it's um, refreshing almost. To not have like all the all the all the stuff that you have to worry mm-hmm. about going off or freaking out you or whatever, mm-hmm. or if your tire pressure drops two psi below recommended. Does she know what CarPlay is? She probably does because the Camry had it when you had that rental. Uh yes yeah yes. Does she ever talk about wanting to get that in the Accord, or would she rather have um, a newer car instead? Well, Kelsey has. Um, like a Bluetooth, one of those things that goes through, like, you know, 98.9 or whatever yeah. it is. Um, and that works just fine. Uh-huh. And I don't think, like, she's not, like, you know, she uses her car for pretty much basic transportation. Okay. Um, and the car's got 100, I want to say 57,000 miles on it. And knock on wood, it, you know, Outside of regular maintenance, brakes, tires, that kind of stuff, it's been great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that she would rather have like a newer car. Yeah. Rather than spend, and me, I'm like, oh, let's like put this in it. Like, let's get new rims and just yeah. put a paint job because I like maintaining things. Um, but again, I, I understand it's, you know, 2006, that's probably, you know, on bar, not, I don't say borrow time, but. Not yeah. gonna last forever, right? I would say it's probably got another fifty thousand miles on it, maybe left in it. Left in it. She really wants a CRV, like kind of. Yeah. Oh, she liked that TT that we saw that one time. I showed <laughs> you that. Was, that's probably sold by now. It's probably long gone. Yeah. I was like, there's no way we can maintain two alleys. <laughs> we have our hands full with one of them. <laughs> yeah. So keep your eyes peeled to see any nice uh, CRVs come through the uh, used car lot. Well, I sent you one, but red wasn't good enough for her. 
slow. You know, we gotta <laughs> we have standards here. <laughs> That's okay. We were talking. We we took her car um, on vacation, uh-huh. and it just it works, and she likes it, and she has no reason to get rid of it. I, we had a conversation about it recently with someone else, and she's like, "I just like my car." Like, oh, I know what it was. So. Um, the podcast I listen to everyday driver, mm-hmm. they, um, do are doing a video series right now where they travel to the various, um, directions. So they, they went out West uh, a few months ago and now they, they actually came East for Radwood. Oh, nice. They were here. Yeah. So they were, cool. they were in Westchester and they had a meetup Friday night, uh, the other week for some of their listeners, mm-hmm. um, and viewers and stuff like that. So we went to that and, we were talking to some other people from the area and they had traveled from like New York and Virginia and stuff like that. Um, so we got to talking to people about their cars and stuff. And she's like, I like my car. Like, I don't really have any interest in getting rid of it. And how many, how many miles are on that thing now? Um, one seventeen. What do you and think I, that car is good for? I don't have any, any worries about that car except the transmission. And the only reason for that is because it's supposed to be a lifetime fluid. And I just don't believe that a transmission is going to go 300,000 miles on the same fluid. Mm-hmm. So if anything goes on that, it's going to be the transmission. Uh, other than that, I'm willing to pretty much repair mostly anything. Like the engines are pretty much strong. The VQ engines are like stout performers. They've been in everything from, you know, pickups to, you know, uh, Ultima, the Maximas to her car, the, the 370Z, stuff like that. So it's a strong engine. You don't really hear of them failing very often. Is that a three and liter? It's a 3.7. 3.7? Oh. Yeah. It's kind of big and not very efficient. But, um, you know, it does its job. It's not a stressed engine, so it's not working very hard. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, when it comes to, like, I'll put, because she, she likes the car. So, you know, I'll, I'll replace suspension components when they start to wear out. I'll replace, obviously, brakes. I've been considering starting to replace some, some interior trim pieces that are starting to wear out. So, you know, I'm, I'm okay with putting the money into the car because she likes it and it's treated as well. Like mm-hmm. it's not really asked much of us. Um, so like, you know, whenever a wheel bearing goes, I'll replace that. Like I have no issues spending money on this car because it's, it's treated as well. Yeah. And like I, um, I saw, something on the news today about you know how to get your car to get to 200,000 miles like you know tips and tricks so clear so that's like mainstream media so with the pricing of new cars even used cars right now it's I think a lot of people are not even car people just like regular people are looking more to maintain their existing vehicle rather than spend the money on the new one some are um but I think I don't think the question is how do you make a car last 200,000 miles? I think it's how long are you willing to deal with an old car? Mm-hmm. Because at, we're all humans. And at some point we just like the newer thing mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what it costs. And mm-hmm. so there are some people that see cars as transportation and don't see the point in spending money on something that's new when it's working perfectly fine. Like Kelsey with her Accord, like, it's treated her well. She likes it. It's cheap to maintain. So why get mm. rid of it? You know? Mm. So those people are the ones that do maintain their car and, you know, run it till 150, 200,000 miles. But the people that there are on the other end of the spectrum, there are people that when their car comes in for service and they need tires and brakes, Oh, I think, I think I'm going to trade it in instead. I don't want to put tires. In. That's maintenance. So right. anytime yeah. they have to spend a dime on maintenance, they're done with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see that. It's probably so like, a perfectly, perfectly great car. Put some tires and brakes yeah. on it, throw, throw it in a sales lot, and you know, yeah. in comes the next guy. I can think of a guy, he had a Q8, and he got to about 20,000 miles. And so Q8s, they're like 5,000, 5,500 pound cars. They're not like, they go through tires about every 18 to 22,000 miles. Oh my God. And most of those cars, people like the big wheel option. So they've got sure. 21, 22, 23 inch wheels. And mm-hmm. so tires alone, you're looking almost $2,400 wow. every, every 20,000 miles, let's say. 
And so this guy, he's like, oh, I don't want to spend that much on tires. So he traded in and got another Q8. And then needed tires again in 20,000 miles. So he traded it in, got another Q8. It's like, so really what do you, that they're probably like, I don't know, they have other like, cars. And he's like, I don't understand, you know, why it's so expensive to put tires on this car. Well, you know that they just chew through tires, but you keep buying the same car. Yeah, but like, what what is that person spending on sales tax for the new car? Probably more than they would have spent on tires. Um, well, I mean, when you when you trade, you only pay the sales tax on the difference in the cost of the car. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, essentially, say you have a fifty thousand dollar car, you paid sales tax on that. When you when you trade it, that sales tax gets applied to the next car's fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So if the car is paid off and you buy a car that's $52,000, you only pay sales tax on the extra $2,000. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. But speaking of trim pieces, I'm still waiting to put my new start stop. You didn't do that yet? Not yet. because I thought for sure you would have done it on the day that it was 92 degrees. No, like I, you know, I'm weird. Uh, I don't want to start using it yet because it's like pristine. Mm-hmm. Because I know that once I start putting there, it's going to start deteriorating. Just like, you know. Plus, I'm a little bit concerned about removing Yeah, but it's, it's six pieces. years old, and you're only replacing it now. So you've got six yeah. years on the next one. That's true. You're right. And by that I time, know. it'll be 12 years old. And let's be honest. You're not going to have the car when it's 12 years old. Probably not. Unless, unless I was thinking the other day that I'm going to start keeping cars and just to, mm. instead of trading them in, just to put them away. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's probably not, that's probably not a feasible idea. <laughs> You got to get a garage first. Yeah, well, <laughs> working on it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think the uh, the condo people would like if you have six cars sitting in the parking lot. Probably not. <laughs> on that note, I think we should uh, start wrapping it up for the night. Thanks again for joining us. This is episode 18, uh, two episodes away from our next guest podcast. So um, if you have any ideas for guests, we have some ideas as well. You can reach us by email at windingroadspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram. We're at windingroadspodcast. We look forward to hearing from you again. Until next time, enjoy the drive.